This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about some sensitive topics related to postpartum psychosis and the law. So if you feel like you're up for it, I'm glad to have you here. If you feel like it might be a little too difficult to listen right now, we will be here later when you're ready. I'm really honored to have our guest on today, George Parnum. He is an attorney and was thrust into the national spotlight through representing such high-profile clients as Andrea Yates and Clara Harris. He's been practicing law for 43 years in Houston, Texas, and he specializes in criminal defense. He's become an expert on the defense of individuals with mental illness and a passionate advocate for legal reform of their treatment in the criminal justice system. He is called upon frequently by local and national news media, as well as the state bar organizations, to render an opinion on mental health. And what else you'll be able to hear from this interview is how really passionate he is and how much he really cares about these mothers and families. I've been really fascinated and interested in learning a little bit more about what happens actually in the legal system for moms who have been through a postpartum psychosis-related tragedy. As some of you may know, there is a local case here that I believe to be postpartum psychosis-related, and I've been able to go in and see some of the legal proceedings, just the hearings so far. And from what I've seen, there is just such an intricate dance of the law and what kind of representation you have and who the judge is and all of these things come together to either have, you know, a good outcome for the mother or not good. And so I want to get into even what those options look like. What can happen for a mother after a tragedy? What happens to them? I mean, there's the whole giving birth and experiencing a severe mental illness, having psychosis, and then the tragedy. And then after that, it's not over for these moms. This is years they're in the legal system and years in trials. You know, from what I see from a mental health perspective, trauma after trauma, and this is really, really difficult. I think if we as citizens just have a better sense of what happens, it enables us to have more compassion and more chance at real advocacy for these mothers. I think it's also another facet to consider for moms in treatment 
if they've been through any part of the legal system related to postpartum psychosis, there is just so much more depth that we might be missing if we don't understand some of the process and some of what might happen. I'm really hopeful that this discussion with George will help highlight some of this for us. And George has been doing this work for a long time, and you'll be able to hear his depth of knowledge and compassion for these families. So let's hear from George. Hi, George. Thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. I'm really, really excited to talk with you because you have done so much work in advocacy around postpartum psychosis and the law and cases related to perinatal mental health that interface with the law. And what I'd really love to do is just kind of, you know, understand from a legal perspective what happens, what happens when there's a case that enters the court and yeah, what kind of things would be useful for us to know? Certainly any examples you have would be great. So sure. Yeah, if you'd like to start with where it started for you, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously the Paramount case in my career in this area is Andrea Yates's case and her cases. And as you probably know, the state was seeking the death penalty on Andrea because of the lives of the children that she had in her state of mind taken in order to save their souls from hell and send them to heaven at a very young age. And I think it's so important for attorneys to become educated in this field. This is not your normal type of murder case, if you will. Mm -hmm. I hate to use that word, but that's what the state had charged her with. And I think it's obviously very important to be able to distinguish this type of case from other types of of homicide cases. This is the very essence of who we are, mother and child. And when we think from the eyes of the jury, this is the very nature of our own existence. And uh, lawyers need to understand that because every juror, unlike a lot of homicide cases, every juror will be able to place his or her own experience with their mother in their own minds and be able to identify the issues being presented during trial through their own experiences with their own mothers. As I've mentioned, this is not a barroom brawl, got a riot or drug deal gone bad when somebody gets killed over drug money. This is, without question, the most difficult cases for a defense lawyer. Absolutely. Because we have that example of jurors being able to place themselves with their own experiences Mm -hmm. in the role of the person who is on trial. Mm -hmm. It's of vital importance that the attorney realize this fabric in order to properly represent his or her client. As far as what normally happens, the state, well, I can't think of another instance uh, in cases of this fashion when the state has not charged the person with capital murder. And once that charge comes down, uh, carries that are no bond, it is immediately necessary for the lawyer to reach out first thing after that person has been retained or appointed, reach out for experts. And a person can find an expert through the American Psychological Association or can go into cases, for instance, not that I'm the expert in the area, but cases that I've developed have been involved in. And I am able to refer experts that have the experience in the courtroom 
in these type of cases to an attorney who is in need of this type of expertise. I have seen so often attorneys who don't want to reach out to experts Mm -hmm. in order to become educated in in this field. And and that is a mistake. Can I ask why? I think you said a little bit before about kind of maybe wanting to figure it out on their own or and not have any other people. Yeah. What, What happens? Well, I think what happens with lawyers, it's not unusual in professions to think in terms of being above and beyond, huh? Oh, okay, and sure. You, one needs to relegate one's own self-esteem and basically sit down with the expert and be educated. I recall yeah. so specifically in, in the H case when an expert that we used literally set me down <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and began from day one to educate me in the area of postpartum psychotic tendencies and and would write questions that would be questions that I would be asking this particular witness on the witness stand in front of a jury Mm -hmm. and would write the explanation down for me to realize what he was or she was going to say in response to the question that I would ask. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So, you know, we sit at council table much like the jury sits. We have to, as I mentioned, relegate our own self-independence or concept thereof and just walk down the road with the expert and allow ourselves to become taught 
by the person that is on the witness stand. And only in that fashion uh, can we even hope to be able to educate a jury on these very difficult issues. It sounds important in all cases where there's an expert witness or an expert on a subject, but in particular, these types of cases where so little is known already, and it's so hard to sort of wrap your mind around the why or the how, is to, to, like you said, to be able to sort of get in the minds of the jurors and get into the minds of whoever might be passing a judgment. Correct. And, you know, jurors will sit back and, as I mentioned, identify their own experiences with their mother. And it's so unlike other types of homicide cases. And lawyers need to understand that and be able to comprehend it and be able to speak the language in layman's terms through the expert to the jury so that the jury can understand these various issues. I often watch experts take a question I would pose, and in response to my question, will turn to the jury and talk to the jury. I think that's of vital importance Mm -hmm. that involves the jurors in the dynamics of what's going on, and that is absolutely vital in all cases, but particularly cases of this fashion. So the legal options, I'm now thinking of the mother in the center of these cases, the legal options for them if they're being charged with capital murder are what? Well, you go forward from a defense, and I would assume in almost every state, I think I have researched all of the states in the area of of mental illness and realized that there are different, for instance, explanations of mental illness but the common denominators are there. Mm-hmm. Mental illness that causes the individual not to be able to appreciate either the nature of what that person is doing, or if they do understand the nature, they do not appreciate what they're doing is wrong, mm-hmm. legally and or morally mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. And that is critical because everyone knows that it is wrong to take the life of a person to whom you gave life to. And that is the hurdle that the defense lawyer needs to comprehend and to be able to explain that whole issue to laymen on that jury Mm -hmm. in order to have a successful verdict. As far as options for mom, I think that from a factual standpoint, as opposed to legal at this time, Mm -hmm. I invariably will see mothers who take the life of a child or harm the child. Once that individual comes to a realization of what she has done, will more frequently than not try to harm herself. Mm -hmm. And it's a result of a realization what has happened and what you've done as far as that child is concerned. It goes against the very instincts of motherhood. And I see, for instance, I think the defense lawyer needs to go back to day one. When I say day one, go back to, for instance, how that mother was reacting to uh, situations in grammar school, because I just see the genesis of this type of mindset. This doesn't happen overnight. It's not one of those things where you wake up in the middle of the night and decide to take the life of your child. Right. This is a progression of events that leads you up to that moment in time. Uh, A lot of people disagree with that, Hmm. but it's been my experience that it is the case. You will so frequently see moms that have been in and out of mental hospitals 
that have been put on medications, have medications changed, and this impacts the mental state of the mom. Medications can have a powerful influence on the mindset and therefore the actions of that mom. Mm -hmm. And one needs to be educated, needs to research the background of medications, go to the manufacturer, request the manufacturer to produce information about the background, the, the factual and medicinal background of the particular medication. Mm -hmm. um, has that medication been used before in situations this fashion? Does the mm -hmm. manufacturer keep up to date with the progression of that particular medication? Mm. There are so many details to go through, to think through. I mean, I'm assuming sort of when you're talking about this, that this is about understanding what's going on for her and preparing the defense when you're asking the minutia of details that you need to, to try and help her. Right. And, you know, again, I've said this, and it's so important from the standpoint of the mom on trial. You've got to put that jury in the eyes of the mom on trial to see what she saw, to see what kind of background, as I mentioned, affects the mindset of the mom on trial to cause her to do something that is the very nature of, you know, of, of who we are. And this is not, you know, not your ordinary type of, of homicide, far from it. It's absolutely so different. But, you know, I've just seen in almost every instance, I have a case now in the state of Missouri where the district attorney's office has seen fit to charge capital murder, and it's a textbook situation involving a mom, prior mental health histories, who basically realized uh, after the fact of what had happened and attempted a suicide. And one has to, I mean, these are so mentally and emotionally overwhelming that you just have to set aside your daily activity. Mm -hmm. and, no, sure, and, uh, as really, the attorney, yeah. Yes, yes, and really take this on as a cause that you will bear for the rest of your life. My professional and personal career has forever been changed as a result of my involvement with Andrea's case. And, sure. you know, it's one of those things you take on and mm -hmm. you never let go. And, sure. And yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, I imagine not all attorneys have the passion that you do. I would hope that they would and that they would see the importance of this. I mean, this is about saving a life and really, really getting to the root cause of why these things happen. And just to your point, that it's not like these things happen out of the blue. I mean, infanticide is, is a very rare and serious thing. And it's not a choice that somebody is making. They're involved in a deeply complicated psychological process that has led them to that point. Yeah, very true. And you look at all of the circumstances in that person's life that had a bearing on the mom's view of what the child represents. And it's absolutely critical to go all the way back, as I mentioned, even to the grade school days. I recall so specifically, and it's a public record, and I'm not you know, giving away any secrets or any insight into any type of attorney client privilege, but to be able to sit at counsel table and to call witnesses that are professional young women and likable and attractive and articulate, and to realize that these women, because of their 
relationship and friendship and love of the person that you're representing, the very nature of what they present, that is the women on the stand, vis-a-vis the person at council table with you, Mm -hmm. just speaks enormous volumes about the distinction between the mindset of the mom on the stand and the mindset of the person you're representing. Mm-hmm. And you, you as a defense lawyer need to appreciate that and to be able to convey that whole instance of circumstances to a jury. Right. And jurors will, I mean, they'll see that for what it is. Right. And what a drastic example, the mom on the stand versus the mom at council table. Huh? Right, right. So, you know, that being said, I think, for instance, that it's important for all of us to be able to appreciate the nature of what we've got. I'm curious, how many cases like this have you been on? You know, they're few and far between, you know, maybe 10, but individually they all, I mean, it's something you'll never forget as a lawyer. I'll never forget my experiences in this arena. And and there's something else that I'd like to comment on. Sure. And that's the public perception through the media of what has occurred and the attitude that the public formulate as a result of the media presentation. And that's why I think it's so important for attorneys to appreciate that Mm. and to reach out to the public pre-trial to be able to counterbalance the impact that law enforcement, for instance, not that law enforcement is bad, far from it, but because of the nature of the case, you will find so many instances where all will be talking to the public through the media. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just have to balance that out. You know, remember a particular case without naming names when I realized that after explanation had been given by law enforcement on the Thursday, that it was so imperative to be able to speak to the public through the media. And these types of cases draw the media attention. Yeah. Uh, to be able to speak to the public through the media to basically counterbalance the impression that is already out there. Knowing that once you do that, that in this one particular instance, uh, I knew full well without any pre-existing knowledge that as soon as we were called back to court, I would be the target of a gag order. And oh. sure enough, it came down. But <laughs> I made my point. And I think it's important for attorneys to balance the impression that is given to the public because of the nature of the case and to speak to these very critical issues. You know, it's a lot of people disagree with that, but that's all right. I can understand that. For you, the listeners of Mom and Mind podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Some of the books I've listened to from Audible are Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero, and Down Came the Rain by Brooke Shields. You can pick one of those books or any other book you'd like to listen to. To download your free audiobook today, go to www.audibletrial.com slash momandmind. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash momandmind for your free audiobook. Well, sure, maybe there's some other legal things that people might disagree with, but from absolutely from an advocacy awareness standpoint, it makes perfect sense to me 
just even in the local case here, I saw how quickly the public just sort of came down on the mom and how much misunderstanding there is. And again, we don't know all the details of the case, but it is like wildfire. Once something like this, an incident like this happens, people are very quick to start with the judgments and just from the protection of the mom and family point of view to get somebody out there advocating for them seems crucial. Yes. And you know, so I've seen so many instances where the public perception about the nature of the act and the nature and the mom who was involved in the commission of that act, that perception covers and encapsulates, if you will, the attorney. Mm. And, you know, you have to develop that tough skin and I can't think of a criminal defense lawyer that doesn't have a toughness of skin to do what we do. But, you know, I've been a person that has experienced that. Yeah. And you just have to take that righteous first step Mm -hmm. and continue down the path. Because moms who get involved in taking a life or hurting a child because of a mental state, that, that is something that the public needs to understand. I believe that in the case here in Houston, that that case, not because of anything that I did, but I believe that that case led to a certain degree of public appreciation and awareness of this very critical of issues, Yeah, mother and child. And, you know, yeah, I, 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 just, I really believe that. And again, not, I mean, I, you know, not what I did or didn't do, but just the nature of the case and certainly... You know, the first trial when that case was reversed and we went back to trial a few years later and the second time in trial, we had a more understanding jury panel. We had a jury panel that appreciated the mindset of my client. And this is so unlike the first time around. But I give that public appreciation a genesis in the first case and the media perception Mm -hmm. and being able to address the public about, you know, the mindset and the very nature of what happened. Yeah. I mean, you get a unique perspective on the mental state of a mom after a case like this, because not that many people, well, I guess, have access to her, to put it coldly. And not that many people are actually, I don't think, trying to find out how she's really doing and what's actually going on. Maybe that's my misconception about what happens after an incident like this, but it... Yeah, and you're absolutely right. That is not a misconception. That is absolutely on point. You know, moms will say to themselves, you know, yeah, I remember, you know, raising a kid where I lost my temper or Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps I spanked too hard or maybe I punished a little too harshly, but I could never Mm. take the life of a child. Mm, that's well, what they say. and that's a hurdle that the defense lawyer has to overcome by addressing the mindset of the mom right. that that person is defending. What have Go you ahead. seen in terms of the, I mean, if you could give us just a glimpse, I'm sure it's varied, but in terms of the mental state of a mom after an incident like this, what have you seen in terms of, are they able to conceptualize in any way or understand what just happened? Yeah, I believe that's true, particularly once that person is placed on medication, antipsychotic, for instance, medication. I think that the realization of what occurred can lead sometimes to disastrous consequences. 
mom will attempt to commit suicide, for instance, and not in every case, obviously, but that whole understanding and the reality of the very nature of what has happened will sometimes be insurmountable in the mindset of the mom who gets better mentally. I guess that uh, assumes and, that they're getting treatment and getting the yes. correct kind of medication. They could yes. come to some realization. That is correct. But that is not to say that that person doesn't need that treatment. Yeah. And it's important to the defense lawyer to encourage the mom to get involved and take that medication mm-hmm. and, you know, get better. And, you know, the very nature of what happens is so, as I mentioned, is so distinct from the reality, the mindset of the mom who is mm-hmm. not ill. So, So from what you've seen in these cases, right after the incident, I guess, whoever is going to meet with them, maybe if you're going to meet with them and they're not yet in treatment or don't have medication, they're sort of, are they in a state of not knowing what happened? You know, knowing is a a tricky word. Sure. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Thank uh, you for clarifying. Perhaps they don't have a total blackout about what occurred. Sometimes they might. But, you know, the faults, for instance, and the righteousness of what you've done to save the soul of the child that you brought into this world. And the only way to do it is to make sure they go to heaven at that tender age. Mm. And how delusional is that? Mm-hmm. But you'd be amazed at how frequently in the mindset of mothers who do, in fact, take the life of a child, how prevalent that whole issue is. Mm-hmm. No mother, in my estimation, will commit an act to hurt a child unless there's a mental health issue. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. There are instances that uh, 
prosecutors rely upon, for instance, a mom who will harm a child for insurance purposes or because the boyfriend doesn't want to marry the mom who has a child. These will be instances that the prosecutors will rely upon to show that there is a mentality and aside from mental health that will cause a mom to do what he or she did, not what he or she did, what she did. But I've never seen a situation either directly or indirectly cases that I'm not involved in mm-hmm. where mental health is not an issue, mental health of the mother. Yeah. And, you know, it's just so important for lawyers to appreciate that. You know, I emphasize the word appreciate, knowing, you know, you can take a look at a statute and you can know what the statute says, but to be able to go beyond the words in the statute and to realize that the mother must appreciate the actions yeah. uh, and the result of those actions that that mother did and became involved in mm-hmm. with that child. It's two different things. Uh, right. you, yeah. you get to the very depth of the mindset of the mom with the word appreciate. And, you know, I've taken some criticism by using the word appreciate and using it to expand the word no. But in my way of thinking, that's exactly what needs to be done. And how you articulate that to a jury, I think, is is of vital importance. Well, yeah, I guess I can just ask you, what's the best possible outcome? Well, you know, it may not, from a factual standpoint, be the very best as far as through the eyes of the person you're representing. But I think the very best result is, for instance, if you plead insanity, verdict to come down. And for instance, in Texas, if an individual is charged in the case of this fashion, it pleads and is determined to be legally insane. The court will have jurisdiction over that person for the length of time that a guilty verdict would have been rendered had the person been convicted. And in an insanity case and where a person is charged with capital murder, and that means that that individual is under the jurisdiction of that court for the rest of that person's life. And that, in my estimation, is not a bad thing because that is a judicial guarantee that the individual who is acquitted will stay on her medication um, because the court will take a look uh, through experts at the mom and whether or not that medication regimen is being complied with. And I think that is, my estimation, obviously very important. These are matters that just don't pop up in the middle of the night. As I mentioned, this is a progression, in my estimation, of, you know, events in that mother's life that brings that mother to this point in time. And it has all of these circumstances that bring that mindset to that moment have an immediate impact on the mental health of the mom. You know, I've said this so many times, even in this interview, that this is not your everyday type of homicide. And I know that sounds rather um, simplistic, if you will, but the realization and the reality of defending a mother is something that will impact that lawyer for the rest of his or her life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, with that then, I mean, obviously Andrea's case and the cases following have um, have touched you and set you on this path for advocacy, which you do a great job. I mean, you're one of the well-known voices in terms of legal representation, for sure, for moms in these situations. And, you know, I'm constantly amazed at in how many different ways 
and how many different professions are touched by the wellness of mothers. Oh, yeah. And yours is crucial. The parts that I've seen, so I've been sitting in on our the hearings for the local case that happened here. And just watching the legal process unfold, for one, it's a long, long process. There's so many tedious, meticulous steps that you all need to take in order to progress a case like this in the best possible defense for the mother. I mean, it's an amazing process. And I can just imagine if moms have lawyers who either, like you said, or kind of want to do it on their own, or need to sort of grandstand by themselves, that they're potentially putting that mother's life on a different path. Your representation and your advocacy are so critical for these cases. Well, you know, you know, you go back to your own life experiences uh, with your own mother, and you understand how everything that happened as 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 basis the love that the mother and my mother had for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no getting around it. It's like I've said so many times, it's not your everyday, I use the term barroom killing, you know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's something that yeah. is critical to understand. And, you know, it's a tip that I've not necessarily learned the hard way, but when I first took the case on, I knew about the expert or experts for the state, and I had to become educated in who happen to be an expert in postpartum issues in like, for instance, the state of Texas or elsewhere. And it was crucial in being prepared for cross-examination to get my hands on every, as many times as I could, every piece of testimony that that expert had given Mm -hmm. in whatever case he or she might have been involved in related to this topic. And I reached out to, for instance, lawyers who had been involved in cases and obtained transcripts of the testimony of that particular witness or witnesses in previous uh, cases, and which ultimately led to uh, the testimony of a particular state's expert. And that ended up being the basis for reversal because of uh, testimony that had been given that was false and uh, not accurate. And that was the basis for the reversal in Yates. And uh, basically, Andrea is doing well. And we're glad that these matters are behind us. Yeah. We've been, all of us, Andrea and the team, huh? Sure. So she is in a state hospital. She has treatment, Uh right? Yes. And not just in a prison. Yeah, she's at a location. There are no guards, no guns, no razor wire, no barbed wire, and she's very close to me, and she is a daughter to me, and perhaps more so than that, but she's doing very well. She's very, very intelligent, you know? Yeah. I'm so honored to speak with you and to hear your passion for this, and I mean, you care so much and it's evident in just the, even your word choice and being sensitive about, you know, how you speak about it. I just think this is such an education, one for all of us who, you know, aren't involved on the legal side of things, but absolutely for anyone who's in a position to defend or prosecute in these cases, I hope that this can be passed over to them to hear, you know, a perspective on compassion that you have. And just thank you so much for sharing this with us. 
Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me, huh? Thank you. Thank you again, George, for coming on and sharing this depth of wisdom and experience with us. If anybody wants to get in touch with George, he has made himself available to legal counsel if they need consultation in cases like this, which I just think is amazing. You can find him at ParnumAndAssociates.com. I'll have that link in the show notes for you. He is in Houston, Texas, but he does travel to help support cases all over the U.S. If this is your first time with us on the Mom and Mind podcast, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. And for those of you who come back every week, I'm so glad to have you here too. Please make sure you're all subscribed so you can get these podcasts when they come out and share as far and as wide as possible so that mothers and families can get the information they deserve before they need it. That'll be it for today. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.